0: Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard@secondchancecoaching.com, at as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.
1: little housekeeping, got everyone good. Well, hello, sir. How are you? We can't hear you, so I hope you're great. Can good, hear afternoon. You. good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. So I am, um, good afternoon. My name is Professor Bob and welcome to Social Justice Week 2022. Um, as always, I'm excited to be able to bring this to our Broward college community what i do ask is if you have any questions comments or concerns definitely use the chat please use the q a um, in addition please shout out and tell us who are you here representing hopefully I'll, i have some of my students here um, if a professor asked you to come or suggested please definitely give them a shout out some recognition um, again my name is professor bob I am an associate professor here on the South Campus. I teach English for Academic Purposes, EAP, in addition to the SLS class, student life skill courses. And I am so happy to have you guys here. Um, a labor of love, something that is necessary and dear, and just a little backstory of how we got here. Um, In response to increased attention to racial violence in the U.S. in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, myself, along with my colleague, Professor Killam, she's somewhere in the room um, here on South Campus, established a series of events under the title Social Justice Week. These events aim to further conversation around social justice in the Broward College community by highlighting the role that social and institutional systems have played in creating racial disparity in outcomes across a number of fields, such as the healthcare, um, education, finance, and the workplace. And so I, I welcome you. And I'm, I'm quite honored that you will take um, a couple of hours or a moment, an hour and a half of your time with us um, in its first year, we were entirely virtual due to the pandemic, and we brought a, you know, a group of national, state-level, as well as community-based experts. And based on the positive feedback, we are bringing it back. I will put the link in the chat so that if you would like to see other um, series that we're having, please do so. And uh, as I mentioned, based on what we've been seeing and the increase of that, we partnered with AHCD Pathways to bring about this series. It's the third in a four-part series of Comeback Collect Connected, Collected, Committed, and Fierce. So there was two other webinar sessions that happened previous, and this is part of um, this series as a fourth part. There is a third, um, a fourth part coming. This is the third part. Fourth part is coming, so do look out for it. I will again show you the link for that. And we're committed here, again, committed to social justice as we explore the social um, inequalities locally and nationally, and to help you guys understand the role that you may play in the social justice movement and how you can lead from exactly where you are. In addition to partnering with AHCD, which is the Arts, Humanities, Communication and Design Pathway, we are working collaboratively with MFLA, which is the Modern Foreign Language um, and Arts Festival. Again, all this information I will put in um, our chat room. So sit back, relax, and get ready as today, yesterday, we talked about the case of the imposter syndrome, in which we had um, Dr. Jackson present on the privilege Opportunity Performance Paradox and what it means to get over the myth of an imposter syndrome and to embrace her vision of ideal, which is inclusion, diversity, equity, and non-discrimination. That was earlier in the day. And then the evening last night, we talked about um, here, everything to do with here and the Crown Act. And the forum was called Discovering Your Roots, where we highlighted important topics, trends, questions, and other significant issues around the here Act and hair. Um, The here Act is a law that prohibits discrimination against here, look it up. It's necessary. And it has its place. Today, we're going to talk about critical re-entry theory, supporting formerly incarcerated individuals, where our esteemed Dr. Richard Lewis will present his issues related to formerly incarcerated individuals re-entering into society, right? And he's going to discuss and highlight some of the challenges related to the initial and ongoing reentry process. We also have one tonight, an event tonight called The Unknown, Colored and Missing, in which a panel will discuss um, issues brought up in the HBO documentary series, Black and Missing. If you ever have a chance to see it, sit back. It's a um, tear-jerker, but definitely um, interesting to hear and see. With that being said, I'd like to give the floor to Dr. Richard Lewis, in which he will discuss about the critical reentry theory. The floor is yours. Please introduce yourself and you may begin.
0: Thank you so much and good afternoon, everyone. Hopefully everyone's staying warm. It's a little cold in South Florida. We're in our winter season, or at least our two weeks of winter season here in South Florida. Um, I wanna first thank the AHCD Pathway and its leadership, specifically Dr. Reed and Dr. Rohl for allowing me the time to have to speak with you and spend time with all of you today. And certainly Dr. Bob and Professor and future Dr. Killam for, and the organizers of Social Justice Week as far as organizing this event and, Decided that I'm esteemed enough to certainly join all of you today, and certainly I see all a lot of familiar names, faces, friends, and colleagues in, in the audience today. So I want to specifically thank all of you for joining me today and joining us today. So I will share my screen so we could get so we could get started, and I hope everybody can can see can see the slideshow. So we are. So today, this is a presentation on critical reentry theory supporting formerly incarcerated individuals. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis, and before we get started, I wanted to sit there and talk about the power of words. So we talk about, um, we talk about formerly incarcerated individuals. When I did my dissertation on reentry and recidivism and post-release employment, I specifically and purposely called the subjects, including myself, for a formerly incarcerated individual as we as i proceeded through the dissertation i transformed and used the words of returning citizen because as you see in the pictures here especially on up top you'll see an individual leaving prison and going into their next life as far as whatever life is in front of them also you'll see i also have a uh, picture of the fortune society the, that's in another lifetime i i am um, sat there and worked at the fortune society in new york where i specifically worked in re-entry specifically working with single fathers um certainly having the symbol of the chain breaking the chains of mental and physical incarceration um the directions as far as where we go and then um sorry about that the directions as far as where we go and then of course i also have a podcast second chance coaching where i talk about a lot of the issues regarding re-entry as far as the specific um, things that people go through, that we go through uh, along, uh, along our re-entry journey. And um, certainly in the middle, at the yellow ribbon around the tree. So historically we've always known it to be like military families that are coming, that are welcoming people who are servicemen who are coming home from conflict or coming home from war safely and welcome them home with the yellow ribbon around the tree. But for those of you guys who may be old enough to remember, um, uh the group Tony Orlando and Dawn that's a little old they had the the song tie yellow ribbon around the old tree that was basically uh an ode to someone coming home from prison and coming home from prison and wondering how they would be welcomed and how would they be received when they would see the yellow ribbon around the tree um if you watch the movie con air with Nicolas Cage he makes a reference to tying the yellow ribbon around the tree when he was writing to his wife in, in the movie. So I wanted to share some of those images with all of you as we get started for today's um, presentation. Let me see,
2: great.
0: So I'll start off with so as far as introducing myself as far as who am I. So I've been at Broward College for the last 13 and a half years, almost 14 years. So I currently serve as manager of the of the BAS program for student services in the supervision and management program and I'm based in Miramar West. I'm also an adjunct professor here and at Miami-Dade where I teach specifically business and human resources and public speaking. I have two master's degrees. I went to Wayne State for my MA in sports administration and I went to NOVA for my MBA in business administration with a concentration in HR and I got my doctorate of education and organizational leadership where we're at Nova as well where I did my dissertation as I said on recidivism and post-release employment I wanted to make sure that I put that in, in all those accomplishments first and foremost I'm a son I'm a brother I'm a dad I'm an uncle I'm a cousin I'm a godfather so I wanted to make sure that that was important that I said that as well I certainly hold, host the podcast second Chance coaching where we talk about a lot of reentry issues and certainly where I where I am right now, is I've certainly re, re, refocused my purpose and my career pursuits as, as far as really concentrating on social justice and specifically criminal justice reentry. So we want to talk about why is CRT or this critical reentry theory? Why is it important to me? In 1996, when I fir- when I finished my first master's degree and I was going through a divorce, I moved back home um, to New York, and you know, in order to rebuild your li- rebuild my life. In my first job after that, I was in a situation where it resulted in getting a nonviolent felony offense and I was incarcerated for six months. And after that time, I was still looking to, to rebuild my life. And I also, in growing up in New York and growing up around different family and friends and seeing what it is that they were going through, I saw them being subjected to the criminal justice system on all sides. And I saw that the recovery or the lack of recovery That this experience that people go through on all sides what that means and what it doesn't mean what it doesn't mean to a lot of folks and that's why over the years it's become important to me as far as this topic is concerned now a lot of times people get caught up in why is there such a backlash as far as sometimes supporting people who are coming home from incarceration and a lot of things that we see a lot of things on television we see shows like cops or we see law and order or we see orange is the new black or oz and where a lot of times, a lot of these shows, and these are these are good shows, I'm not saying I've watched Oz, I've watched Law & Order, I've watched Orange is the New Black, I've watched Cops. But a lot of these shows depict and show a lot of extreme things that we see, and it really plays to our fears and says that a lot of times public safety and reentry are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and it really isn't. Yeah, public safety and reentry really could are, are not enemies. They really can work together because if we support reentry well, we are also going to be supporting public safety. And I think a lot of times people get spooked by how is it that we help people who are coming home because we see shows like this that show a lot of that show a lot of the, a lot of these extreme cases and these extreme scenarios. So a lot of times when people talk about when we talk about public public safety and reentry. And we want re-entry as far as being holistic. We're not talking about, you know, at the cost of public safety. We want we want still people to be accountable and we want to live in a safe world. But we also don't want to make sure that we're not throwing away our fathers, our brothers, our mothers, our sisters, as far as if they're in the criminal justice system, that they don't have no chance of successful re-entry and optimizing their second chance. Now, in my situation, certainly I would be remiss if I didn't talk about what what propelled my second chance and the foundation of that second chance. And that's and I wanted to share these pictures with all of you. And that propelling my second chance is really my family. On the upper left hand corner, um, this these pictures were taken on the day that I graduated with my doctorate. So on the upper left hand corner is my daughter Julian. She's a proud double HBCU graduate. She graduated from Howard University and Xavier University of Louisiana where she got her master's. In the middle was is my uh, sister to to your left, and my mother to your right, and to your right, and to the right is my niece Ayana. So in these pictures, my sister and my mother and my daughter all spoke to me about now that you've done your doctorate, now that you have a difference to make, you need to speak about that. They really started having those conversations as really as far as. Uh, planting those seeds as far as what it is that I should be doing next. I poo pooed them. I said, no, I don't wanna go through that. I just wanna do my own thing. I graduated and things of that nature. And a lot of that inspiration was propelled. I have a couple of my graduate school classmates on that are in attendance today. A lot of that was propelled by the, the, young, the young man on the left-hand side. The young man is my son, Nanamdi Richard Lewis, who, was, who unfortunately was murdered during, after my first year of my graduate program. And a lot of the things that propelled me to to finish the doctorate was really an inspiration of him. You know, when he knew that I started the program, he wanted to make, he was like, Dad, I'm there for you. I'm supporting you. I'll be there for you on graduation day. Although, unfortunately, he wasn't physically there, he certainly was there in our hearts. And it's certainly one of the things that mom talked about as far as being, as far as supporting people going through their next processes and their next phases is, and many of you have supported it, and I thank you that we have a, a scholarship here at the Broward College Foundation that's a, that's in the NAMDI's name that supports children of incarcerated parents because I wanted, since he and his sister went through that when they were very young, in my, in my experience, I wanted to make sure that the students that come to Broward who have incarcerated parents have that mechanism of support, all, you know, however big or small, to make sure that they're able to have their crooked path straight as they go through their college journey. So when I talk about the support of what we should be doing for returning citizens and my support and my experience in having that support. I wanted to show all of you the support that I received and those are the people that that, that are standing in front of you that gave me that support and continue to give me that support in that reentry journey. Um, a lot of things as far as uh, in my studies, we I always talk about four, I found four critical areas that returning citizens need as far as when they come home and that's education, employment, Health, um, health services, and housing. I faced all those issues, and certainly, like I said, my village, my family was that love that supported me through that process. And I wanted to share with you things that, whether it be housing or whether it be employment or even school, that this these kind of applic- this application or these kind of question this kind of question really could stop someone in their tracks. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Yes or no. If yes, please explain. So certainly, when I in the twenty-something years since I since I've been walking on my reentry journey, I face this this question on numerous occasions. Today, you know, today I could face it with confidence and just answer it and do what it is that I have to do. But certainly, there's a time where that's some that would stop you in your tracks. I mean, I work when I came back to Florida in 2006. I worked at kaiser university i worked in admissions and i was able to overcome that and and start start that process and work over there in 2008 when i came to broward um i applied answered the questions wasn't sure what that would lead into and then when i got the job at broward i when i got the job at broward i even the person who was the hiring manager at the time i was hired as a cte advisor i spoke to that person and said well are you sure you did all your backgrounds i was trying to talk in a way to find out that they did everything that they did without really explaining myself, even though I put everything on paper. And the funny, or, or the funny, or really anxious thing that happened while I was being onboarded at Broward. Many of you who've been at the college for many years know that um, at the time, Talent and Culture was called Human Resources, and they were based downtown. And at that time, they used to they used to fingerprint us on site. And I remember when um, on my first day of onboarding, I went downtown. And they were they were fingerprinting me and they were going through the process of, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And of course, in my mind, being a returning citizen, I'm thinking, OK, they're going to do the background. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. And in the midst of going through the fingerprinting, I started speaking to the person from HR at the time and say, well, let me tell you my story. And I start giving her the whole story. And, you know, I hope this doesn't affect my employment or being able to onboard here at Broward. And I'm giving her a whole story. And, and, and she's. And it's so funny she's giving me this look of complete disinterest (laughs) i'm not noticing it but she's giving me a complete disinterested look and when i after i did everything she just said boy you are hired please put your fingers on that thing so i could get on to doing what i need to do so but of course that was that was my anxiousness and and as far as getting on board and then since then you know i've been here ever since now in speaking about how the impact that this impacts all of us, certainly when I did my dissertation, yeah, you, I saw how these statistics. I know how it personally affected me, but I wanted to look and see how does this affect all people, the criminal justice, the criminal justice environment, and then we look and see how this is how this affects us. I mean, one in nine men have had some sort of criminal justice history in their lifetime, as compared to one in fifty-six women. But women are becoming a fast-growing population. In our prisons, and then when you compare to men of color, black men, one in three have a criminal justice history, one in six in Latino men, and compared to one in seventeen in white men. And then you see the statistics when it comes to women. So there, and they're, and statistically, there's no nobody commits crime more than another, but you could see who's being prosecuted and who's being who's being incarcerated more than any other. And you see, and those stats bear that truth out. Some of the numbers that we, that we talk about as well is, you know, 7 million adults currently right now, um, as told to us by Sherm are under some sort of criminal supervision. And even though, and a lot of people have also heard this in the United States, even though we're only 5% of the world's population, we hold 25% of the world's incarcerated folks. Um, 85% of people who are incarcerated will return to their communities within three years as we release 650,000 people on an annual basis. Um, but close to 70% of people who are released are rearrested for a crime within three years and rearrested for a new crime within five. Um, the unemployment rate for people who are who are returning citizens are usually in the range of 40 to 60 to percent. 60 percent released in prison, you know, are still looking for jobs within their first year of release. When we look at the general population, we see when we look at unemployment at six to six to eight percent. The general population will like, wow, this is this is crazy. If the unemployment is that high, or if we're at nine or ten percent. So imagine a population that's forty percent unemployed, sixty percent unemployed. So we get it's a situation where people are not able to say, okay, how do I get from step one to step two, or even to get to even from step zero to step one. So it's important that we that we look at these particular situations, and then of course. This map talks about how we are worldwide, as far as per capita per 100,000, how we as the United States, we incarcerate more per capita than anybody else in the entire world. Another thing is, too, from an employer standpoint, and this is what I teach, I also teach and cover this in human resources, that you know 7.8 million jobs have to be filled by 2020. Now, this was done before pandemic, before the pandemic. Obviously, with the pandemic, there's even more jobs that need to be filled. And of course, you know, you know that that you know that hiring managers look at look at people who are returning and say yes, they could sit there and do this job just like anybody else. And uh, and during my dissertation, I, when I surveyed man hiring managers, they said they would employ returning citizens if having sustainable employment would make it less likely they would reoffend. And when I spoke to probation or probation officers, they eighty seven percent, almost ninety percent, agreed that it's less likely that returning citizens will commit new offenses if within three years they have full-time employment. These are some also the statistics from SHRM, the Society of Human Resources Management, and they have this initiative called Getting Talent Back to Work. And you can see the uh, website gettingtalentbacktowork.org. So he talks about 95% of people who are incarcerated will eventually be released. You see the job, the job, uh, the job statistics that are there, as well as HR professionals and managers, as far as what it is that they're doing, as far as their willingness, but the small window, as far as who they're actively recruiting from this, from this population. Now, in talking about critical reentry theory, like I said, there's four crucial services that people need upon coming home. They need housing, they need employment, health services, and certainly education. Um, one, of, one, of my coll- one of my colleagues in, the, uh, in, in my doctoral program, she concentrated on, on homelessness. On homelessness, and returning citizens are ten times more likely to experience homelessness, and that's, that's, that's incredible. Thirty-one percent of returning citizens on probation do not have a high school diploma, in comparison to only eighteen percent of the general population. So that tells us there's an opportunity there to make sure that we have people secure in housing and making sure that one is educated because the higher one's education is, the lower the recidivism rate. There's even studies that the higher someone gets in an education all the way up to a master's degree, the recidivism rate could could go down to zero. So that goes back to what I was talking about public safety and reentry goes hand in hand because if we're giving people the opportunity to have a secure roof over their head, to be able to be educated, to be able to be sustainably employed, then recidivism goes down, which then means public safety goes up and that's a benefit for everyone. I wanna also refer to the saferfoundation.org, the the blueprint for reentry that also bases what we talk about with critical reentry theory and some of the one of, three of the things, in addition to the four pillars that they said that needs to be addressed when someone comes home is one, the establishment of a one-stop reentry office. Now, they Safer Foundation's out of Chicago, but this is something which could be applied to any municipality or nationwide. Certainly, they also talk about the commitment to scale up investment in reentry, and of course, looking to improve reentry outcomes. And then they talk about these 13 points in the reentry blueprint That's really designed to to harness and and, uh, optimize success for returning citizens coming home. One, we want to build and expand tax credits for employers to hire returning citizens. Right now, tax credits really involve somebody getting tax credits if someone's coming home within their first year of release. But we also talked about statistically that 60% of people in their first year of release are not even employed. So if we could build and expand those tax credits to employers, that could help incentivize to give people that second chance. We want to strengthen employment protections for those with arrest and convictions. That means, do we look at Title VII of the Civil Rights Act to say, do we do we do we expand protected class status? Do we look at ban the box legislation? Do we look at sealing and expungement? Three, do we look to improve licensing guidance to modernize the processes? A lot of people in prison certainly learn how to do hair, or do, or learn to repair computers, or they, or they become skilled barbers. But do you know when they come home, they have a hard time getting licensed to be a barber? But this is the skill that they learned when they were away or they have a hard time getting a getting a job, at maybe at a Best Buy or at a computer center. But these are skills that they learned while they're away, skills that we say that we as a society say is important for them to know while they're away so they can come back to be productive. But then we stop them from getting the licenses to succeed in that industry, in those industries. Number four, access to affordable adult education and community college post and pre and post release where we in the community college and the state college system could be social justice warriors every day. But that if we make if we make the college, if we make our college courses, our programs accessible to people pre and post release, then of course the recidivism, the recidivism rate goes down. And we as a community college, we as the state college, we as Broward College become that village to support the people, the community that's coming home, that's looking to get from step one to step two, or even from ground zero to step one. We want to invest in comprehensive reentry models where we talk about workplace development and entrepreneurship. We want 100% of returning citizens to have housing upon release. Because certainly if you're thinking about where you're going to live and if you're not secure about where you're going to live, you're not going to be able to sit there maintain and do anything else. We want to establish state grants to acquire, rehabilitate, and restore livable properties for returning citizens and in that acquisition, rehabilitation, and restoration. We could, employ, we could employ returning citizens to be a part of building those properties. So we have given them employment and they're building and they're building their properties along the way. We want to also establish housing subsidies. We want to support sensible solutions for housing and address residency. A lot of people who are coming home may live in public or subsidized Section 8 housing. And then there's restrictions as to whether or not they could come back and live with family members. So let's talk about how we could. Support that reentry to say that if they have nowhere else to go except be with family, let's make sure that we that we make those crooked paths straight. Activate Medicare coverage when we talk about the health services. Activate Medicare coverage for returning citizens on day one of their release. From the moment they come home, they have Medicare coverage, and providing at least one month and one month of refills of legally prescribed medications. Because if they if they are medications and getting health care while they're incarcerated, why why would we cut that off? Upon their being released, so it so, and to set another roadblock as far as them them being able to successfully reenter and successfully be a part of rebuilding their lives. Certainly, we want to provide returning citizens their complete and certified medical records upon release. A lot of us, including me, we go to the doctors and we don't ever see what our medical records are or see very little of them. But when you're when you're coming home, and then now you're going to see, get medical medical. Uh, attention from someone outside of where you were, then you should have a complete medical history so that if there's any issues at hand, if there's any issues to be addressed, it can be addressed right away. And then, lastly, we want to have complete and a comprehensive care package that connects people to community resources and community care, so that not so for those who are not lucky enough to have immediate or extended family, that there is a village, there is a there is a safety mechanisms, there is a safety net in order to to optimize and to help their success upon coming home. One of the main things that that is going on right now, when it, the social justice train never stops. One of the main things that are going on right now, we hear in the news about voting and voting rights, and that's something that we was able to get that passed in the state of Florida in 2018 as far as restoring voting rights for people here in the state of Florida. But one of the biggest things that's going on right now is gerrymandering. And a lot of people may not be familiar with gerrymandering is, but as you see, the definition is here. It divides election districts to give one political party an electoral majority, and and concentrating the voting strength in as few in, few in as few districts as possible, and then if you look on the right, it talks about the criteria as far as how districts should be redrawn. But the biggest thing that's going on right now, as far as gerrymandering is concerned, is prison gerrymandering. So imagine if you're a resident of Hollywood, Florida, and you get incarcerated. When you are now in a rural part of Florida, in another part of Florida, away from your community, when we just did the census two years ago, when the census is counted, as an inmate you are counted as living in that place where you are currently incarcerated, and then of course the the, the political and the congressional maps are drawn based on you being populated in that area where you're where you're incarcerated, not where you're from, not in, not in Hollywood. So now the political strength and the dyna- and the community dynamic in your community is lessened because you're not counted as a resident of your community you're counted as a resident of another community and even more so you're counted as a resident in a community where you will not be represented you won't your voice won't be heard you can't even vote while you're incarcerated in the state of Florida but now that momentum is building as far as you know addressing prison gerrymandering Across cities, counties, and states across the country, as far as really saying that this is a problem that should not take place, we believe in a country that, you know, you should be you should be aptly represented. And if you are, and if you're in prison and you're being counted as being a resident of that of that area, you're not being aptly represented. You should be represented based on where it is that you're from and where it is that you're coming from. And that's one of the that's one of the main things that I work on um, as part of the Palm Beach. Reentry task force as part of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, a number, the African American Council of in the city of Hollywood, so many different places that I'm that I'm giving my attention to as far as addressing place things like this, as far as felony disenfranchisement, prison gerrymandering, to make sure that we are trying to once again make those crooked paths straight for those returning home and making sure that communities are represented appropriately. Now, one of the last things I'll say in closing before I certainly take any questions as far as when we talk about the word cloud, as far as all the words that come into play, as far as how we address our fears and address our hopes and address the successes, is to really talk about that this is one of the many branches of social justice and what we're addressing here in social justice Week. and my hope is that here at Broward College because we are an arm of social justice as far as giving our students opportunities I've, I've taught students in my classroom who have been returning home who are on work release and and I'm there to be a, a support to them there's so many different people on this chat that have been support to their students as well that have gone through that situation but certainly my hope is that one day here at Broward College we create at a social justice institute and policy institute to, to talk about what policies here in the state nationally how we could affect and be that village and and make those crooked paths straight for the people that we serve the students we serve and the families of those students in which we serve so th- that's my hope as far as as far as doing that as well um, i'll certainly take any questions at this time and um And certainly if you have an opportunity, that's my contact information here at the college via LinkedIn. Certainly if you want to connect with me through Second Chance Coaching, if you want to be on Second Chance Coaching and we could talk about some of these issues that are relevant to reentry, relevant to the resiliency of the human spirit, certainly feel free to do so. And you can connect with me on Instagram as well. But once again, I thank you for the time. I I hope I hope you enjoyed it and and got a little bit of passion stirred up as passionate as I am about this, about this subject and many subjects in this social justice branch. And I'll certainly take any questions or comments at this time.
1: Okay, so um, a question. Individually, how can we make a um, make a movement or make a difference?
0: Individually, I think one of the things that we should be doing is certainly getting getting involved in our, our in our community organizations, our chamber of Commerce, certainly the community resources that are available in our in our different communities, and be in touch with our lawmakers as well, as far as knowing what it is, as far as knowing what it is that what how we could help what the status of what it is that's going on as far as whether there's band-of-box initiatives and things of that nature. And really, it's just starting at the ground level to, to see what community resources are out there, getting in touch with your lawmakers, being familiar with the laws in your area and the access points, whether it be school or whether it be employment, whether it be licensing and how you can make those differences. I hope that answered the question.
1: Yes.
2: Dr. Lewis, um, maybe we could follow up on that. And Hi everyone, I'm connecting from my phone due to technical difficulties. Um, But I'm wondering if maybe there are some insights that we can draw from the voting rights legislation that was passed um, recently to restore voting rights um, to folks um, as they re-enter as citizens.
0: Well, the voting rights was that was Amendment Four in 2018. So that was that. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of momentum leading up to that vote, and so close to 70% of people in the state of Florida voted to have voting rights restored. Of course, um, after after that law was passed, then the then the legislature and the governor indicated that any fines that that was owed by by um, by returning citizens had to be paid before they could vote. Now normally one would say yeah that makes sense you know you should pay what you owe but before that before the voting before voting rights were restored that was never enforced as far as fines were concerned that was never really universally enforced because they were like okay we put these fines in maybe people could pay maybe they can maybe they cannot pay and then even when we were, we were working with organizations like the Florida Rights Restoration Commission and saying, okay, we will get into the place where we could restore and pay these fines in order for people to be able to vote, a lot of times when you went to the state, they didn't even know how much anybody really owed or how much money or where the money should even go. And so, unfortunately... You know that that was a that was a roadblock in that regard. And even if you look at the, the amendments in our constitution, when it came to voting, I think it's in 13th, 14th, or 15th amendment. It said the ability to pay or the ability to not pay should not be tied to one's ability or right to vote or privilege to vote. So that's still even being that's still even being challenged in courts as we speak right now. But the community organizations that are still fighting and still paying a lot of the fines. Um, with no strings attached for a lot of returning citizens in order for them to vote in order for them to have their voices heard So that's that's currently what's going on right now
1: Okay, we have a question from Noral Powell. Would you like to ask your question? Oh, we can hear you or Nora if you could put it in the chat So we have someone saying, "Do you think we should adopt the method of reforming, like in El Salvador or in Finland, where they give the inmates the opportunity to build life skills from when they are released?"
0: I think we should build those, those life skills while they're while they're still incarcerated. I think those life skills should definitely be built, and those community resources should be an extension of that preparation of release. That preparation before they were before they were released, because at the end of the day, uh, Martin Luther King told us you, you can't can't tell someone to pull some pull themselves up by the bootstraps if there's no laces in the boots. So if you don't, so certainly I'm not saying that anybody should not be held accountable for what they should do, what they've done. I certainly don't tell people that they shouldn't, you know, pay or make restoration. But the way in which we do criminal justice really should be a situation at hand where we want to make sure that. You want to give people an opportunity that if they if they've gone through the, that hard time if they've gone through that mistake whether willingly unwillingly whatever the case may be that they, they're in a position where they don't have to do that again um, when I talk about both sides of the criminal justice dynamic as well it, to, to, to continue to expand on that I remember when my son was murdered to this day his case is cold no one has has caught up been accountable for for his murder. And I remember someone had asked me, he goes, well, how do? How would you feel if somebody, if the person that, or the person or people that murdered your son, how would you feel about them as far as being re-entry? I said, they shouldn't get the same re-entry opportunity as anybody else. Does that mean that they're not held accountable? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that upon paying whatever debt that society feels that that debt is paid, because you can't pay that debt to me. You cannot give him back to me. But whatever debt that society feels that you should be paid, then, of course, then the reentry, then the reentry process and the opt, the optimability for reentry should be even made available to him, her, or them, because at the end of the day, while my son is already gone, I want to make sure that if that reentry op- opportunities are there for you, that someone else's son or daughter is not is not murdered as well. So that op- so that so that through rest- restoring that person's life, someone else's life is not taken as well.
1: Thank you. I have a question. Um, let me see if I can ans- ask it. I'm trying to scroll down to it. Sorry. Technology. Um, someone said, what can we do um, in the commu- in the college level? What can we do here at Broward College? Aside from us <laughs> wanting to do a social justice institute, what else, what other resources and things are in place can we do?
0: Well, certainly I think that um in student services, we connect and we interact with these students all the time. Um, when I was serving as associate dean, we, we deal with the students that come in and have criminal justice histories. We talk to them about the opportunities that the college has for them. And then, and then we continue to support them through the case, management, uh, the case management methodologies that we have here at the institution based on having those career conversations, knowing where it is that they could go to not be disqualified or where they could optimize their success um, for my faculty colleagues in the classroom it's really just making sure that you're creating an environment that's not only learn not only a learning environment but an inviting environment where they could feel they could speak to you they the students see you in the in the classroom every single day they interact with you guys every single day and just being you, just being inviting and just being and just knowing that they could come to you if they need if they need any issues or if they need any help, is just and just being ready to be that advocate and that ally for them. Because a lot of times you may walk in a room and say, Hey, I'm here to help you. And no one will sit there and come, not because they don't want the help, but but they have to build that trust. They have to build that ability to say, okay, I'm ready to seek. Dr. Bob or Dr. Kim or Dr. Jones or Dr. Pleito or Dr. Harriman, whoever is here to say, these are the things in which these are the things in which I need. When they know that you're being you and you're being your authentic self, they will come to you. I mean, you know, to me, having this, even in my case and sharing my story and sharing what it is that I've gone through and sharing my journey, it took a long time. This is stuff. This is stuff that's happened over 20 years ago. And it wasn't until. About one or two years ago in the pandemic, a good friend of mine and good friends of mine said to me, you know, they, they reiterated and reinforced the seeds that were planted by my mother and my sister and my daughter a few years ago to say, share the story. But a lot of times, you know, like anybody else, my fear was that, you know, you don't want to come out and share your business or share your story because, you know, we do still live in a very judgmental society. But I remember what my mother used to say, like, you know what? For those, for those who know you, no explanation is necessary. For those who don't know you, no explanation will ever be good enough. So at the end of the day, they're going to like you or love you no matter what. So just do what you got to do and live on your own terms. But, but the answer is to really say just to sit there and be inviting and, and allow the door to be open for students to come to you when they are ready on their time to come to you. And when they do, me, make sure that you are able to embrace them accordingly, figuratively to say and, and direct them, direct them to me, direct them to a lot of us here in student services who'll help and be more than happy to, to guide them and, and, and uh, appropriately guide them while they're here with us.
1: Thank you I really want yeah,
2: thank you dr. Lewis for for sharing your story. I want to recognize how courageous that is. I can't imagine um, how that must have felt when you first started sharing it, but it opens up this tremendous conversation. Uh, and learning opportunity for all of us. Um, there were a couple additional questions in the questions and answers uh, chat here. We have one question asking if there are any organizations or agencies that we can follow either through newsletters or social media for information about reentry and supporting our neighbors who are re-entering.
0: The biggest organization that I'll sit there and tell someone to support is the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition that you'll find at it i think it's frr, frrc.org or if you google florida rights restoration coalition that's one of the biggest things they're very engaged all over the state of florida as far as what we do for for that the florida justice center does that on a local basis here um, the african-american council of the city of hollywood they do that as well over here i'm a part of that the palm beach um, Reentry entry task force does that as well there's a lot of organizations that do that that do that and do that work, and you know, really, you just go to whichever organization that um, peruse the organizations. A lot of them are working towards the same goal, and then you just decide which one you want to do. As you know, for me, I'm involved in all of them, and um, certainly involved in, in 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 organizations across the country. I'm involved in from prison cell to PhD. I'm involved in that organization. I'm still involved with the Fortune Society where I used to work. Um, so many different organizations to to be involved in. Here and nationally, that one could be that one could uh, one could participate in.
2: Thank you for those recommendations. I think the lesson is that grassroots efforts are really important. I think as we continue to fight for the restoration of voting rights, um, that's absolutely a lesson that we can take forward with us. There's another question um, in the chat. Do you think we should adopt the methods of reforming? Um, that we've seen in El Salvador or in Finland, where they give inmates the opportunity to build life skills for when they are released.
0: Yes, I, I definitely, I definitely think we should do that not only when they're released, but before released, before they're released as well. Certainly, if someone's within a year of being released, they should also they should have those those type of and they should have those type of um, those skills that really could translate to employable and marketable skills upon their coming home but in addition as what in addition to that in addition to what i said about if someone's learning to be a barber or, or a repair person while they're incarcerated and they're taking those skills we also have to make sure as a community that we're making sure that the laws are supportive of that reentry as well because at the end of the day there's nothing more frustrating and i've seen that with with the people that have come home to say okay i'm learning all these skills while i'm away but then when i come home there's a licensing barrier for me to be able to get a job, or there's or or there's other barriers that come into play as far as that's concerned. And I think that in addition to having those skills being taught pre- and post-release, where a lot of it, a lot of that could be done here at the community college level as well through our CTE programs and the affordability and the value of our education. But also too, we should also be advocates for the laws to make sure that we give people the optimal opportunity and modernize the laws to, to provide access. And the opportunity—it's I mean, not to say just to give somebody something, but to give and optimize that opportunity to say, you know what, I'm the per- the person I am today is not the person I was yesterday or whatever the case may be. I remember telling someone the other day as far as giving an example of reentry. I was like, all of us have went, all of us went through grade school, all of us went through K through 12, and all of us have been, and all of us have been in trouble or have gotten detention, I'll raise my hand and say, I've gotten detention or whatever. But let's say you got detention when you was in the third grade. And then you go, you serve your detention, you come back to the classroom. No problem, right? But let's say you serve that detention, and before you come back to the classroom, they say, you know what, little Richard? You can't sit there and come back to the classroom. Because you served the detention, we're going to put you in another classroom with a video feed so you could hear the lessons but you're not really in the classroom because you had that detention. Even though you served the detention, but because you had the detention, we're gonna put you in a separate classroom away from everybody else because you had that detention. Now, that doesn't make sense. But now imagine you go through the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You're in the eighth grade and you're still in that separate room. Why? Because you had a detention in the third grade. Now, someone on, 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 the, on, on the face of it may say, well, Richard, that doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense. But that's what we do today. That's what we do right now to people who come home. That's 650,000 people who come home. We do that right now. We say it could be 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. You can't live here. You can't go to school here. You can't work here. You can't get health services here because of something that happened so, so long ago.
2: I think there's another question in the chat if you're willing to take it. Um, this one says, do you foresee an opportunity on the horizon for BC to begin offering educational services inside prisons, jails, and detention centers?
0: Absolutely. If if we're able to do that in the state of Florida, I certainly see that opportunity taking place. And then of course that opportunity comes from faculty who are, you know, leadership who wants to do it faculty who's willing to do it. I know definitely a lot of faculty are willing to do it. And I, and I know and I know that there's been discussions among leadership that are willing to do it as well. I could certainly sign me up. If it's a matter of that we start teaching inside of prisons, detention centers, and, and workplace work police facilities, I'd be one of the first ones to go in there to teach as well. So I definitely see that opportunity coming in on, on the horizon. This
2: has been such a fascinating conversation um, if there's any final questions, we'll certainly take them as we wrap up. Um, but I know I'm incredibly grateful to you as I and for sharing your expertise, sharing your experience, uh, and presenting us such a great learning opportunity today. Um, just very grateful for you and your time. And I no, think thank you, thank
0: you, and thank you to everybody as well. And certainly, if there's anything that I can continue to be of help or be of assistance or have conversations about it, please feel free to be in touch. You know, there's a lot of people out here who are willing to be advocates and, and have done that. I mean, Dr. Pleto's done that, Dr. Harriman, Dr. Jones, so many different people that are on this chat. I see some of my former classmates, Dr. Carey, Dr. Bryant, you know, Christy Moran, there's so many different people. I know I'm leaving people out, so feel don't feel bad that I, if I left you out, but certainly if there's anything that we could do together certainly feel, feel free to reach out and we can make it happen.
2: That's a wonderful, inspiring note to leave us on. Um, and I think you planted some seeds for us to think about as a community in the future. Um, a social justice institute is a really great idea. So hopefully this will spur further conversations in that direction. So thank you so much. Um, thank you to all the attendees who joined us today. We are so grateful for your presence here as well. Um, and I, I'll just wrap up by promoting a couple of events we've got coming up um, as we wrap up Social Justice Week. I can't believe we're already well underway. Tonight, we have a fabulous event, um, The Unknown, Colored, and Missing. This is based on the HBO documentary, Black and Missing. That's a panel discussion that pro- that will be very insightful, I think, um, when it comes to inequities in media coverage. Tomorrow, we are thrilled to have with us um, Don Stahora, who is a librarian um, in aHCD, who's going to talk about activism and what you can do to make a difference. So if what you learned today uh, has inspired you to maybe get involved on some level, um Don has got wonderful information for us. Uh, and that's um, that's tomorrow afternoon at the same time. And then Wednesday night, we've got the role of language in educational equity, which of course is the kind of conversation that really continues what we started here today. So uh, lots more events to come. Please do fill out the survey link that I think um, Dr. Bob will be adding to the chat. Reach out to Dr. Lewis with questions and certainly feel free to contact Dr. Bob or myself um, if you have any questions about Social Justice Week. Thank you so much for your time and attendance and thank you again to Dr. Lewis. Great job. Thank, thank you, guys.
1: You. Thank you
2: for the fun. Bye-bye. Take care. Yeah. And-
0: as always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life, through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit i would love to work with you one-on-one whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance or you're a representative of a business college or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments please feel free to contact me via email at richard at or via instagram at the dr richards